0: Thank you, Will and and the band, Uh, what an amazing job leading us in worship every single week. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Haggai for the last time in this series. Haggai chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 10 this week. Growing up as a child, uh, I I can remember I had by my bed a small, couldn't have been more than 7-inch TV screen. A TV there that was black and white and had the bunny ears on the top. Most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You younger kids, you have no idea. Uh, but when I watched on this little black and white TV. I remember falling asleep many, many nights as a young teenager and, and even later on in my teenage years, falling asleep to the Tonight Show or the Late Show or the Late Late Show. And uh, I can remember doing that and falling asleep to that. Uh, but One of the things that I remember as well is not every night, but if I ever woke up in the middle of the night for one reason or another, uh, I can remember that everybody knows that what plays on a local channel during from the hours of like 1 to like 5 a.m is paid programming, right? Infomercials. And I can remember waking up as a kid and uh, waking up as as a teenager and and rolling over and seeing these infomercials playing. And if I couldn't go back to sleep, that was what I watched. And uh, I saw advertisements from anywhere from diet plans to workout plans, uh, the Genshu knives, uh, for some of you that remember that, the OxyClean commercials. Um, I remember all of those sorts of things. And I just remember thinking like, you know, it's amazing to me how they do such a, a good job of pushing a product that's just life-changing, right? I mean, these Genshu knives, they, they throw up a pineapple and slice it in midair. And I don't know how many people are doing that on a normal day-to-day basis as they prepare their fruit salad. Uh, but that's what they did. And and I remember uh, sawing a, a work boot. I don't know that there's a market for people for knives that saw work boots in half, but they would saw the, the, the work boots, and they'd run over stuff and just put them through crazy, crazy tests, uh, and they would always say uh, at the end that results may vary, right? Results may vary. Whatever they're selling, whatever they're doing, whatever diet plan, yeah, these people look like sculpted just works of art, these, you know, with the abs and the, the, the muscles and, and everything coming out of their ears, but results may vary. I remember one specific commercial that I bet you every one of you can remember. You probably have one of these at the house. I remember when I got my first Snuggie. Do you all remember these things? Now, mine was not pink. Um, This is a breast cancer awareness Snuggie, uh, which is interesting Uh, in itself, but I remember getting one of these Snuggies, and I remember watching those commercials. And man, oh, the the people that were wearing them, they were warm, right? The novelty of it is it's got sleeves, and so you can snuggle up on your couch, uh, or you can take them into public. And, and man, there were people sitting in the stadiums, and they were high-fiving when their team would do good, but then they'd get back in their warm little Snuggie, and it just seemed like the best thing in the world, right? And so we, I got one for Christmas. I know you probably did as well. And I remember taking this nugget, mine was camouflage, taking it the first time to a public setting. I had worn it a few times at the house and everything was good. I liked it okay. And I, but I remember taking it to a public setting, took it to a sporting event. And I remember when everybody else was reaching for their covers everybody else was reaching for their heaters i reached for my snuggies and here's what they don't tell you on those commercials that if you wear a snuggie sure it'll keep you warm sure it's comfortable but you won't have friends if you wear a snuggie for very much in public uh for very long and so i would i put on this snuggie i remember being made fun of uh and and people laughing at me and so it it it, it scarred me to a certain degree. And so I realized really quickly, this results may vary thing was real. And the Snuggie was not for me long term, right? And so they, they but they pushed this because it's important. We're in our fourth uh, week in our Sign Me Up series. And the title of my message today is Results May Vary. We look at a lot of things as, as, as leaders, as servants of the Lord. We look at a lot of things and compare ourselves to a lot of things in life. Here's the problem with that. The problem with doing that, the problem with, with looking at our life through purely our own lenses is that we miss the bigger picture of what God is really doing. And so as we pick up in our story, we pick up in the third month of the temple construction. Uh, the first month, remember, they, they got to work uh, and then were two months removed from the last prophecy that Haggai had received that even though the temple looked uh, looked very meager and very uh, paled in comparison to the first temple, to Solomon's temple, that God would fill it with his glory. But in in chapter 2, verse 10... We see three months have been removed since they've started the temple. Two months have been re- removed from the last word from Haggai. And the people were looking around and they noticed something. They noticed that their situation had not changed. Although they were doing the right things, although they were being obedient to God and building this temple, three months had passed. A quarter of a year had passed and their personal... Physical circumstances had not changed, and we see that the reason why that had happened is because there was a problem in the way that they were thinking. And so, let's look first. Uh, let's look first in our notes at the problem. Let's look at the problem. Haggai chapter two, verse ten. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month. In the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So it is with this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hand, and that which they offer there is unclean. Let's, let's pray. Father God, bless your word. Do what only your word can do. Bind it to our hearts, God. Let it, let it motivate us, God, to live differently. And Father, we give you all the praise, honor, and glory for what you're going to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what in the world is Haggai talking about here? He is speaking, he is giving the people an object lesson. As I like to do each and every week with you guys, just something that you can take away, that you can remember in your mind uh, about the message. Haggai is leaving the people with an object lesson. And this is basically what the gist of it was. He was saying, if something is clean, and it touches something, and when we say unclean, we're talking about by the Levitical law, it is ceremonially unclean, right? It's unholy. And so if something that is clean touches something that is unclean, does, it, does the cleanliness of the one object change the uncleanliness of the object that it touches? And the answer was from the priest, No. Right? Nothing that is clean can touch something that is unclean and make it clean again. It doesn't work that way. And then he asked it the opposite way. He said, But what if you have something that is unclean? In this case, a man who had touched a dead body, right? That made them ceremonially unclean according to the Levitical law. So, what if that that man who is unclean touches something that was otherwise clean? does that thing that he touches become unclean as well? And the answer was, it does, right? And so what he was speaking about here was the prevalence of sin that was still in Israel at that time. If something that is unclean touches something that is clean, does it make it unclean? And it does, and it doesn't work the same way around, right? Something that is clean touching something that is unclean doesn't make the unclean thing... Clean, right? And so what God was speaking to was the necessity of Israel to be holy before him. Right, They were an unclean. And so what was making them unclean? They were doing the right things. They were being obedient to God. They were building the second temple. They were told by God to do it. It was important, right? We understand that from what we talked about last week, that God was going to place the Messiah in the second temple. This was vitally important. But God said, your situation hasn't changed because there's still uncleanliness in your lives. In your notes, just because you do right doesn't mean that you are right. You know, when I preach a series about getting involved in a church, in in the church and 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 making uh get, getting a place where you belong and getting a place where you can serve. It's easy to miss the idea that just because you serve in a church, just because you work in a church, just because uh, you're a pastor of a church, does not mean that because you are doing right, you are right. And we find, we find out that Israel, even though they were doing the right things, they were not right in the ways that it mattered most. The entire Old Testament was about observing the Old Testament law. And and the Israelite people made it about observing the law externally alone. Uh, and this was the problem that the prophets had, that God had, and he spoke through the prophets to the people all along, right? You are not... Where you need to be with me? Yes, you're abiding by the law. Yes, you are sacrificing. Yes, you're abiding by the feasts and the, and the uh, fast that I have given you. But your, your heart is far from me. You're corrupt in the way that you're living. And so, secondly, he gives them the past as a reminder. So let's look, secondly... At the past. We've seen the problem. The problem is their situation hasn't changed. Why? Because even though they're doing right, they're not right before a holy God. And so let's look at the past. Listen to what it says in verse 15. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. He's saying from this day on, I want you to think about before the temple was being rebuilt. When y'all had paused for that 16-year that gap where you had arrived and then you paused the work of the temple for 16 years to build yourself your own homes. I want you to think back to those times. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Since those days were when one came on a heap of twenty measures, there were there were but ten, right? You you had 20 measures. You thought you were going to get a return for 20 measures and you only got a return for 10. But when one came to the press fat for, for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. We thought we were going to get a return of 50, but only 20. We've talked about this before. Haggai 1 dealt with this. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and in all the labors of your hands. This was the story of the Israelite people. This is is what we saw in that 16 years. They had worked so tirelessly to build for themselves a life, right? To provide a home and a luxurious home to live in, to provide food and, 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 and necessities for their families, but they had focused so much on those things that they had become obsessions to them. And then they were looking toward luxuries. But every time that they would try to trust in their own selves to provide, God would blow it away. That's what it says in Haggai 1, that God, as you accumulate storehouses of grain, I blew it away. Right? That when you gathered your money in your pockets, you filled your pocket, you filled... Uh, your pocket's full of money, but the pockets had holes in it. And so regardless of what you tried to do to provide for yourself, it was never enough. And he said, remember those days that I did all of these things. I, smoted you, I, I smote you with blasting, with mildew, and with hail, and with the labors of your hands. But yet, this is key for this passage, yet ye turned not to Me, saith the Lord, you did not turn to me. I was putting all of these external things in your path to try to get your attention, but you did not turn to me. And so he was saying, remember when you were not doing right. (laughs) Remember when you were doing wrong. Remember when externally you were serving yourself. Now what you're going through now looks exactly like that time. What's he saying? It's not enough just to do good. It's not enough just to obey. Here's a question for you that I think is really good Do you work for God to be blessed, or are you blessed by God to work? Listen to what it says in verse 18. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four-and-twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth? From this day will I bless you. What's he saying? He's saying you are finding yourself in the same place you were in when you were not building the temple. Why? Because you're missing a vital aspect of what it means to be obedient to me. Again, the Israelites focused on external obedience. What God was calling them to was inward obedience. Legalism teaches that blessings flow from our work for God. That we work for God and God blesses us when we work for Him. This is legalism. This is the, the, and, and this may be what you believe. That if I work for God, then God will bless me. That's legalism though. Listen to this. But love teaches that blessings flow from God's work in us. The people of Israel in the Old Testament proved time and time and time again that they could not live up to the standard of the law, of God's law and standard of holiness for them. They could not do it. And so what we see in Haggai is a shift of idea. It's not new Right. It may have been new to these people, but it's not a new idea. There were other prophets that tried to tell them over and over and over again. But it's not just about obeying God. It's not just about being active, doing the right thing. Because that will never stand the test of time. Listen to what it says in your notes. God places greater priority on what he can do in you than what he can do with you. Now, can you just wrap your mind around that for a second? God cares more about Alan Ostriski as the committed follower of Christ than he cares about Alan Ostrisky, the preacher and the pastor. God cares more about frank about Billy Graham, the, the son of the Most High God, if he has a relationship with Christ, he cares more about his relationship to Billy Graham as a son of God, as a joint heir with Jesus, than he does the millions that have probably come to the saving grace of Christ under his ministry. God places a greater priority on what he can do in you than what he can do with you. Why had their situation not changed? They, they, they thought, right, the, the promise of the sales pitch was get, get to work and then you'll be blessed. But that's not what God said. God never said that. But that's what they thought. The results may vary. The external things may not always click and may not always come to fruition. But one thing is true. One thing is true. As we mentioned before, God was beginning a shift in Israel from an emphasis on an outward standard of obedience. Here are the Ten Commandments. Abide by them. He was making a shift from that to an inward standard of obedience. He was making a shift from Physical blessings, right? And, and that happened in the, in the Old Testament. As people followed God, they were blessed physically. It, it produced physical wealth and physical rest and, and those sorts of things. But God is making a shift in the redemptive history of mankind. He is making a shift. Now, it's always been by faith. It's always been by, by God's grace through faith. Don't hear that God is shifting in his understanding, in in salvation for man. All right? But he is unveiling the redemptive plan for humanity to a greater extent to these people. How do we know that? Well, we know that in the Old Testament, in in the first temple, in Solomon's temple, the Shekinah glory of God rested between the mercy seat, between the cherubims on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But yet Ezekiel and Ezekiel 10 saw that presence leave before Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar and the presence never returned. But what did Haggai say in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 that we talked about last week? That God was still with his people. Not a physical representation, but one that they had to take by faith. They had to work on the second temple in faith that God would eventually fill that house with his glory. Though it looked meager, though it looked like something that God, much less a a, a pagan God, but the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, would want to sit in that they, they had to take God at his word, that he would fill this very ordinary structure with his own glory. So that it wouldn't be about the glory of man. It would be about the glory of God. But they had not seen that yet. They had not seen God do that. And so they had to operate on faith. It's a whole shift of mindset for them. It was a, it was a revolutionary idea. But then finally he gives them the opportunity to have faith in a coming Messiah. Haggai leaves us. Haggai leaves the people of Israel with an opportunity to have faith in a promise that would outdate every single one of them. So let's look third and finally at the promise. Haggai chapter 2 verse 20. And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the, mo- of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel. Remember Zerubbabel, the civic leader of the day? He was the governor. He was not a king, but he was placed there by Persia. Listen what he says. Say to him, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms of the heathens. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shilteel, saith the Lord, and will make thee a signet. For I have chosen thee, says the Lord of hosts he's saying the days coming where I will shake heaven and earth this was this is apocalyptic in nature talking about when when Israel will be established but who will be placed on the throne in the Old Testament the goal was for the Davidic line of of the Messiah to be preserved. And so David was the king in Israel. Who gave birth to Solomon. Who was the king in Israel. Right? And then Rehoboam and Jeroboam split. But Jeroboam was the king. Or excuse me. Rehoboam was the king in Judah. And the lineage of Jesus, of, of David trekked with the royal line of Judah. Each one of those men, whether they were godly or ungodly, were of the political dynasty of David. They were of the Davidic line, and it was all about preserving that line. Here's the problem. When we come to the exile, Zerubbabel, though he is of the lineage of David, which is important, he's of the lineage of David, he will never be king. And his son will never be king, and their sons will never be king. Jesus isn't speaking of a physical kingdom, but he takes Zerubbabel and he tells him, "You will be a signet. I will make thee as a signet for me." What was a signet? Well, a signet ring was a was a demonstration of power and authority and honor for the person that held it. If a king had a signet ring, he had a seal, uh, if somebody wielded that seal, had that, that ring, they had the same power that the king had. And so he was, it was only given to the most trusted advisors and family. When the, uh, when the wayward son, when the prodigal son returned home, one of the most significant things that's said about him by the father is he tells his servants to run and get him the ring. Get him a ring and put it on his finger. Put that signet back. Even though he has defamed me, even though he has wasted and squandered my money, even though he's done all of these things, he's still my son. I love him and I bestow honor and power to him. The promise to Zerubbabel was not political in nature, but spiritual. Again, this shift, recognizing this shift. Zerubbabel would never be king, nor any of his ancestors, would, or any of his uh, generations after him would ever be king. But God had made him a signet. Ultimately, this is fulfilled in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That through Zerubbabel, there will be a signet, and that signet will be the sonship of the Son of God of Jesus, of the coming Messiah. God's promise looked past a monarchy, looked past a physical representation, and looked to a Messiah. Past a monarchy, past what you can see with your eyes, past the results that one might see, onlookers may see and observe as they pass by, and to something that cannot be seen to the Messiah who would come. And so this is the promise that we have from God. Again, if you're looking at your life and you're trying to compare it with others, right? it's easy to lose track of that because results may vary. Obedience to God may look different for you than it does to other people. I think about testimonies that I've heard in the past of uh, of people who were alcoholics and they surrendered their life to Christ and they've never had another drink, another drop of alcohol, and they've never wanted it again. Praise God for those testimonies. But that's not the testimony of everybody. That as soon as they came to Christ, they were delivered from whatever addiction and things like that. That may not be the case for you. The results may vary, right? This, this loophole that allows all these companies to kind of wiggle around if the expectation that you have for that product doesn't quite pan out the way it looks like it will. In that commercial, it gives them wiggle room, right? In the same way, our lives may look different than each other, in obedience to God may look different, but it's not about the external obedience. Man, I pray that our church is a church that has committed followers of Christ, not committed in the sense that they fill a role, but committed in the fact that they know who they are in Jesus because that is what gives lasting power to ministry. So Zerubbabel was to be the signet that one day the Messiah would come through his lineage, even though it's not a physical royal power, it would be spiritual in nature. And this spiritual aspect is what governs our life even today. You know, Zerubbabel had faith in the coming Messiah. But God has already given us his Messiah. He's already given us his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know that you can never be all that you can be. Yeah, you might be able to to maintain good standards and good behavior for a time, but you'll never stand the test of time until you quit focusing on what God could use you to do and you focus on who you are in Him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus today. That's the starting point for every one of us in this room. And so right where you're at, I know this is strange because I know you're in different situations and different circumstances and and settings right now and kids may be going crazy and all that, but I, I would just ask that you would zone in for just a minute. If you would bow your head and you'd close your eyes. And if you're here and you don't have, under the sound of my voice, and you don't have a relationship with Christ, man, would you not Put that off. God loves you and sent his son to die for you. Would you today accept his gift of forgiveness? And this is this is what you must do. You need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin. Right? That for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you would turn from your sin and you would surrender your life to the lordship of Christ, you would give your life over to him, confessing your sins, and, and you would begin a relationship with him, receive him as the Lord and Savior of your life, you can do that right now. You could pause this video right now, and you can pray in the quietness of your own heart. You can pray a prayer and receive Christ today in your life. Would you do that? Just pause it even right now and pray a prayer to surrender your life to Christ. But maybe you're here and maybe you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're just not plugged in. You're not connected. You're not being who God has called you to be, not because you're not serving, but because of who you are. Maybe you just need to return to him. Maybe there's things that you need to repent of. You need to get right. Man, Do business with God in this moment. I'll remind you again of our online connect card. North Connect, if you will send the phrase North Connect to 31996. I know that sounds crazy in a time of invitation right now. I'm telling you to grab your phone. But I want you to. All right. I believe that God is sovereign over this. And I believe that God even now can work through this and, and allow you the opportunity to respond to him. But text the phrase North Connect to 31996 you 'll be prompted to go to our connect card, fill that information out um, and so that we can follow up with you and mark at the bottom there, Mark if you need to make a decision for Christ, mark that if you need to talk to somebody about baptism, if you need to talk with a pastor about something that you 're going on it 's going on in your life. Um, if you need to sign up for a ministry team, you know that God through this series that God has laid on your heart that you need to be a part, you need to be serving somewhere, you can sign up for a ministry team, even there. we would love to follow up with you on that. So it looks different right now. The invitation and response looks different, but I pray that you would respond to Christ and his invitation today. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you've done in this place. Thank you for speaking to us again through your word as you, only you can. Lord, we pray for these that need to make decisions for you. I thank you for those that have made decisions for you today. God, I pray that they would be bold enough to submit that card so that we can follow up with them about their next steps of obedience and how they can continue to walk in this relationship with you. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you do for us. God, keep us safe. Bring us back next week at the next appointed time, uh, Lord, to do it all over again, to hear your word preached again, to sing songs to your glory and your fame and God, may we be quick to always give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything that we do. Whether we're gathered together or we're scattered, God, may we bring glory to you in all that we do. It's in Christ's name we pray.